uh, as we do this. Uh, th this is uh, the simplicity of, of what we're studying uh, is still very powerful. And uh, so we're going to get into Psalm 32, then we're going to break off and, and go back, uh, go to Samuel, and then come back to Psalm 32. So uh, we're just going to read the first couple verses, and then we'll go back uh, to 2 Samuel. So uh, verse 1, Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So I, I like that it starts here by saying, Blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's a, that's a very comforting thing to read, because every single one of us, when we examine our lives, um, have had uh, some... Uh, we can, reflecting anybody, uh, reflecting truthfully, uh, can look back and, and see uh, sin and the effect of sin in our lives. And uh, when we can look here and see uh, that that transgression can be forgiven and covered. And uh, when you get into verse 2, and, and when we look at this, blesses a man uh, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And uh, that's uh, charge um, his account with. Charge his account with. With iniquity, you know that's that's quite a charge. You know, in, in today's world, we walk around and very rarely do we even have cash anymore. But when you charge something, you know, we're taking that and we're 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 owning that. We're paying for that. Uh, for our account to be charged with a debt that we can't pay is not something I want in my life. And it was. It is something that we've all had in our lives. But uh, the the offer that the Lord has for us is that, hey, that unpayable debt can be washed clean, can be uh, taken away, can be covered and forgiven. So it's a blessing to know this. And uh, we're going to, and hopefully you have your, your uh, mark uh, kind of made for uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to go back there and we're going to look at, at uh, something that David uh, it's going to be a familiar story to us, very familiar story of David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And uh, look at what's what's happened here and what, what David has experienced in his life and what he has done in his life. And uh, look at an example of somebody who had desperately needed forgiveness uh, and grace and mercy just like we do. Um, the uh, The type of sin he committed... Uh, is something that hopefully we never commit in our lives. But uh, this man uh, sinned deeply against the Lord, and uh, and we know the end result was that eventually he was he was forgiven of this, but not without a lot of heartache, not without a lot of pain uh, that came from it. So, the um, Second Samuel, uh, chapter eleven, verse one says, and it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, uh, when we read this, there are there are whole different Bible studies that we can do through this this story, uh, this this Bible story. So uh, as we read through this, there's a lot of stuff that we're 
probably not going to stop and study like we were going through this verse by verse. I just want to cover you know, who David is and the, the writer of the psalm that we're reading and uh, some of the things that he's he's gone through in his life. So uh, where we may have stopped and, and talked about, you know, shouldn't he have been out there uh, with his army when kings go out to battle, stuff like that. Uh, so we're just going to keep going, uh, just more of uh, following along with the reading. Verse 2, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elijah, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came in, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she, said, uh, she sent and told David and said, I am with child. So reading through this familiar passage, we're looking at what David uh, just uh, committed in his life and uh, uh, looking at someone's biggest failure in his life uh, of, oh my goodness, when you look and we can look at him uh, with, uh, with judging eyes and, and uh, cast judgment on him. And, uh, uh, you know, and then we can be reminded of when the Lord says, hey, when you have an impure thought, uh, you're guilty of, of adultery. You know, those types of things. Oh, oh, so it's the same as he, even though he committed it, you know, if we do it in our heart, then uh, we've committed the same crime. So uh, as we understand the scripture, uh, that makes us uh, as equally guilty. And uh, we may not have actually uh, committed and, and gone into that, but our heart, the, the, uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so that sin, that that. Uh, we we pray for pure hearts because we want our hearts to uh, to reflect the Lord and we and uh, and to be uh, changed by the Lord. So in us we can see that uh, you know we do have a need for a Savior because we uh, we're human beings. And so David here is uh, he's just out there and he sees this happening. Sees a beautiful woman and she's naked and and he he calls for her. He brings her in. And it happens to be Uriah the Hittite, one of one of his his mighty men. You know, this this man was somebody that David trusted and knew was a mighty warrior. And we, what we're going to see here is that he not only uh, deceives him, but he also uh, betrayed him. And uh, so there's a lot here. You know, when you look at the story, to really consider when we go back to Psalm 32 and you start reading that, it's pretty heavy. So uh, verse four says. Um, Excuse me, verse 6. Then David said to Joab, uh, sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, just looking at that, they're, they're out to battle. And Uriah is one of the guys. He is one of those guys that you know he's going to go in and he's going to wreak havoc against the other, the other army. So Joab's probably like, well, this is what the king wants. But that's a big loss. I mean, that, that guy is out there. He's a, he's a warrior. And uh, one of the mighty men of David. And uh, so he, without question, sends him back. And verse 7 says, When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, uh, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house, and with all the servants of, a, of his Lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, 
David said to Uriah, did you not come from, uh, from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark of, the, of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go down to the house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. What an honorable man. I, I, I couldn't, you know, this guy has just been given a break from the battle. I mean, he doesn't have to, you know, post-traumatic stress, you know, he can kind of chill out. You know, he can, he can go home, relax. And the king said, hey, come back, give me a report. Now, usually, I, as I just thinking of this and going through, um, sending one of the mighty warriors. I mean, maybe you could send one of the guys that's been, you know, um, you know, getting bread to everybody or a cook or something, you know, somebody who, who maybe not be, may not be needed in that battle, but he, he wanted Uriah there. And we know why he wanted Uriah there. And maybe Uriah wondered, he just, I don't know, but uh, you know, I came here, I did what I was supposed to do. And then he starts thinking about his brothers that are out there fighting. And, uh, and he's, he's saying, wait, you know, the Ark of the Lord is out there. Joab is out there. And everybody else is out there fighting. They want to go home. They want to sleep in their own bed. They want to be there and, you know, experience the comfort of their wives. And he knows they can't. So this man decides, no, you know what? I'm going to sleep down here with all the servants. And, and uh, uh, that was his – and we know what's happening here is uh, – is David's plan is not going according to what he wanted it to. You know, the whole thing isn't folding, uh, unfolding the way he wanted it to. So verse 12 says, Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today, also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter uh, to Joab and sent it uh, by the hand of Uriah. So this man, as we're reading, is about to carry his own death sentence to Joab, his commander. Uh, it's just when you read these things, oh, so powerful. And he wrote in his letter saying, Set Uriah at the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while uh, Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew uh, there would be valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent, to, uh, sent and told David all the things concerning the war and, cha and charged the messenger, saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if he happens, if it happens that the king's wrath arises, and he says to you, uh, "Why did you approach so near uh, to the city uh, when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall?" Who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubbesheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him uh, from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? And, and then you should say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. That's an awful story. This man, while one of his mighty men of valor are out, David sees his wife, takes advantage of his power, and says, I want that woman over there. No one's going to tell the king no. 
So he goes and he gets her and she's probably wondering what's going on. And I've heard other Bible studies that maybe she was advertising to David. You know, we don't we don't have that uh, here uh, in the scripture. But either either way, uh, what ends up happening is he sees her bathing and uh, and wants her. So he, as a king, abuses his power, has her come up. He lays with her and she's pregnant. And now he's trying to cover his sin, calls the husband back and says, hey, why don't you come back here and and uh, while you're here, you know, give me a report. Oh, great. Now, now just go home. He doesn't say go home and be with your wife. He just says, oh, just go home, you know, and uh, trying to cover it up a little bit more. And then we saw that his plan unraveled. It didn't work. And he, he, he uh, then has another chance, and, and he says, hey, why don't you stay here a little bit longer while you're staying here? Uh, while we stay in there, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat with him again. I'm going to get him drunk, and then I'm going to try to send him home again. Doesn't work. The plan is completely unraveled. So then he signs, writes a death warrant. And what a servant. That, that servant didn't look at that letter. He was entrusted with that and sealed with the, the king's signet ring. He knew. Obedient servant, a loyal servant, somebody I would love to fight next to. And he was he was betrayed, and uh, and he was uh, you know in in this way you know he he experienced deception, and uh, but he didn't he didn't um, he didn't go home. He went and he carried his own death sentence back to Joab, and Joab obeyed the king and uh, set up set it up, drove him to the front. And then pulled everybody back. I have to wonder, you know, as I'm reading this, I have to wonder if he kind of looked like, where's everybody going? And then he gets killed. You know, I just, you know, thinking of, of the, the actual circumstance of that man's life where he's fighting and he's, he believes he's fighting for his king. What he doesn't realize is that his king has deceived him and betrayed him. And, uh, and that he had to look back and go, where is everybody? And then get stabbed, you know, or, or shot with the air or whatever it was. But, um, and then the news, uh, you know, Joab sends somebody back to David. Hey, if he's asking this and he gets mad at you, just tell him, just tell him Uriah the Hittite's dead. Sad. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall uh, at your servants, and some of them, some of the king's servants are dead, and your king's, sorry, and uh, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. This is cold here in verse 25. Then the king said to the messengers, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. Ah, people died. Don't worry about it. That happens in war. Yes, uh, we know that that um, the the effects of war are casualties. We understand these things, but uh, his immediate thing is, well, don't let it worry you. You know, the sword does devour people. Hey, that's going to happen. Um, that sword that devoured him was your own sword. You know, you you murdered that man. Um, so as he's as he's trying to. Uh, trying to cover it up, he thinks he's got everything covered here. And verse twenty six says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, uh, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore a son. 
but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And if you if you look at the word, uh, you may have a, a a number next to that, and it says it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. So everybody who knew about this, uh, well, I mean, if you look at Uriah, Uriah could be like, "How did my wife get pregnant?" Because I didn't go home, you know. And uh, this this story could not be covered up anymore. So the only thing David could think to do was to murder this man. So he did. He had him uh, taken care of, and and David thinks, "All right, this is this is under the rug. Everything's good. I can hide this sin, and uh, we'll continue. I'll marry her quickly. So then, you know, she'll have the baby, and uh, maybe no one's going to suspect anything." And uh, as we see in verse 12, uh, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in the city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay down in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him and a traveler came uh, to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the uh, wayfaring man who had come to him uh, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come up with him so David's anger was greatly aroused remember David was a shepherd so David's anger was greatly aroused against this against the man, and he said to Nathan, "As the Lord lives, this man, uh, the man that has done this, shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing, and because he had no pity." Then David said to David, "You are this man." Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you a king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and uh, you have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. This is, uh, this is David realizing that the Lord sees everything that he does. And this great atrocity, this great evil thing that he did that he thought he had covered up, was all taken care of, is is wide open. And uh, that he can't escape the Lord. And that his hidden sin was not hidden. That the Lord revealed it to Nathan. And Nathan goes in boldly and says, you are this man. I mean, you just read the story. I mean, you, you think of this, this, this animal that has grown up, and it's like a daughter to this man. And the kids love it and everything. And then uh, the rich guy says, no, nah, you know what? I got, I got a visitor here, but I'm not going to use any of my uh, lambs. I'm going to take this guy's. And cut it. I mean, it, it, it is enraging to think about, you know, that you're going to take what, this, what the, the little things uh, that, this little fam that this little family, poor family has. And David, seeing that sin, is enraged and says, this man should surely die, and he's going to pay back. And, and right as he's yelling, and he just gets done, Nathan looks at him and says, you are this man. That's, that's you. You're the one that did this. And then the Lord goes on to tell him that, yeah, you're the one, and, and this is exactly what you did. Now, David had to know that, that Nathan was a prophet. He knew that. 
But he had to know this message come from the Lord because he knew exactly what happened. He thought this was all covered, and he didn't. And you have to imagine the pit in David's stomach. And that David was trying to be callous. He was trying to, to get past this and, and move past it. And uh, now, now he knows he's caught. You know that feeling. I, I know as a kid, oh, my goodness, you do something wrong. And uh, um, I had, uh, I had, I'll just say siblings. And um, I had siblings that learned the hard way. And I mean the hard way. And uh, juvenile hall. I mean, learn the hard way. And uh, I usually would watch them learn the hard way. And if I got in trouble, I was sick to my stomach, and I just couldn't deal with it. And uh, that guilt feeling. We know that we know guilt, right? We've all done something wrong and gone, Ugh! and we don't want somebody to find out about it. That's the worst thing David's done in his life. And now it's it's being it, now he's being held accountable. Verse 10 says, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken Uriah the Hittite, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives from before you, and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because you did, uh, excuse me, because by this deed uh, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Those last words. You know that, that baby you have growing in there? Because of what you did, that child's going to die. Now that's a heavy thing to go on. Not, not only did you just kill a man and steal his wife, that innocent baby that's now in the wife, in the, in the, in the womb of your current wife, who shouldn't be your wife, um, that baby's going to die. And, uh, if you continue reading on that, and for time's sake, uh, we're, we're not, we're not going to do that. But uh, David is – actually, you know what? We, do, we have some time. Let's, let's read it. Sorry, guys. I'm telling you we're not, and then I'm going to take us right back there. I just need to get back there for a second. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 15 continued, And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with the Lord for the child, and David fasted and went and laid all night on the ground. So the elders of the house of his house arose and went in to him and, uh, to, uh, to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke with him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do us harm. When David saw his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servant, Is the child dead? And they said to him, He is dead. And David arose from the ground, 
washed his hands, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he was, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then the servant said to him, "Why is this that you? What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food." And he said, "While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live?" But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now the rest of the story you can read on. And the second child they have is Solomon. There is forgiveness. There is grace. And there is, uh, there is a great um, story that comes from that. And Uriah, today, as we're here thousands of years later studying, Uriah is honored. By the, by the type of man he was, by the type of servant he was, um, by the type of fellow warrior he was. Uh, it, it, we, we look on him with honor, and we, and we know that David is, is a man, he's a sinful man, and that he, he was forgiven by the Lord. And, um, but his, his sin had consequence, and the consequences cost the life of, of an innocent child. So back in Psalm 32, when we read, Blessed is a man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think there's some reflection from David. Yeah, David can reflect there and go, wow, bless the blessedness, uh, blessedness of being forgiven. And when the, that sin is not charged to my account anymore. When David can can reflect on that. Verse, verse 3 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long. That, that overwhelming, crushing weight of, of bearing our own sin, uh, the sin of guilt and shame, and, and what he's saying, when he kept silence, my bones grew silent, my, my bones grew old. It was, it was having a physiological effect on him. And anybody who's been in that, that spot of, of great guilt, of, of um, great stress in our lives, you know, we all know that stress isn't good for us. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that stress has, has such a toll on our lives and on our, our physiologically on our hearts and on our, our brains and uh, your blood pressure goes up. And what does that do in your, in your life? All those things. And what David is saying is I felt physiological uh, pain and anguish and uh, the bones grew old. It was just, it was agonizing for him. It says, uh, through my groaning all the day long. So he kept silent and uh, instead of confessing. And uh, God knows uh, our hearts. And, and uh, Psalm 33, just the, the next, probably the same page or the next page over from where you're at. Um, verses 13 through 15 says, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. There's nothing we can hide from. David tried. He did everything he could to try to hide that. He's using his power to to uh, to bring her in here, abusing that power, and then he's using his power to try to try to cover it up. And hey, I'm going to bring this guy back. And he says, Hey, you know, I'm the king. You can go home and do your thing. Uh, and then he's he's using his power to bring him back up and using and abusing his own power and and. Uh, and now he's in this situation where he's just murdered this guy. 
uh, and he, it's, it's in his heart, and it's eating him up. And he knows that he's been caught. And, uh, and he's in a spot now where uh, confession comes. And, and when, when Nathan confronts him, he says, I have sinned. And he, that, that broken and contrite heart, you know, that, that, that the Lord will forgive that broken and contrite heart. And uh, that's uh, when we have that guilt, when we have that sin, we're trying to carry it versus just blaying it before the Lord. This is a message that we can take out to our loved ones, uh, the loss that we work with, uh, those that are under that weight of sin, just miserable in their lives that we've experienced this grace and now we can carry this message out and just show, Hey, everything you're going through, the anguish, the pain, everything you're going through, you don't have to let's, let's, let's pray. Well, let's confess this and teach, you know, show them the gospel, show them that we can be renewed, you know, and, and we're going to, we're going to continue to study here, but uh, I I'm so blessed and so thankful that that's not the end. Oh, so blessed by that. Proverbs uh, 28.13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Confession and forsaking of sin. Those two have to go together. Otherwise, we'll just keep confessing, right? Feel bad, and then uh, then we'll confess it, and then we'll feel bad again, and then, and, uh, then we'll do it again, and then we'll confess it and feel bad. The forsaking. Just forsaking that sin. Just being done with it, whatever that sin is. Um, that band Disciple, they've got a, a song called Dear X. And uh, if you've never heard it, the Disciple's a, a heavy, heavy um, uh, rock, uh, Christian rock band uh, that I've loved for years. And uh, they, he yells, he yells, they play very heavy music. I mean, you can understand the words and everything, but those guys love the Lord and they have sac They could be a big band on the outside, but they know, um, Kevin Young's their singer. He writes their lyrics. And, uh, I've listened to him since I think, uh, 2001 or so. I listened to that band. And, uh, what I really like about that band is cool. Cause he'll, he'll, he'll write songs and then he'll put a Bible verse next to the lyrics he just wrote. And sometimes it's even every line. He'll write a line of you know six words or whatever, and then he'll put this verse. He'll write he'll write this line, and then he'll put this verse. And it's so cool. And a lot of people may not like it because they don't like heavy music. It's awesome. So, but he, there's a song they did, and uh, it's called Dear X. And uh, basically, what it, it it sounds like, and I've heard it I've heard it described by people who didn't understand the song as oh, he just sounds like he's he's singing to his ex girlfriend or his ex wife. And no, I, I, if you just listen to the song, it's the things that used to have power in my life. You don't have that power anymore. You don't own me. He says, uh, you know, you don't, he goes on to say, you don't own me, you know, and it's such a powerful song and that, that powerful truth of that sin no longer reigns in me. I don't have that, that anymore. I don't have that iniquity, iniquity reigning over my life anymore. That confession and the forsaking of that sin that it's gone. Dear X. You know, X could mean X like you're gone, and it also could be whatever that might be. So that the X could stand for something or uh, and whatever it is. I like that he didn't just, uh, as he's writing it, and I know the Lord ha uh, you know, helped him write that and inspired him to write that. Um, but it, because it, you know, somebody may say, well, I, you know, I didn't, have, I didn't struggle with that sin. I struggled with this sin or whatever it is. But it's whatever it is. 
go ahead, you're never going to take me. You know, it's, it's, it's a really good, you got to look up the lyrics. Um, you may not, if, you know, if it may not be your type of music, but it's a really, really good song. So uh, just the, the confession and the forsaking of the sin, those two things have to go together. Otherwise, we're just confessing. And we still haven't moved away from that sin that the Lord has freed us from. We, we have the freedom. It's just whether or not I've heard Will here years and years ago talk about, you know, that, that, that door to the, the prison door might be open. But do you really want to walk out or not? You know, it's that, yeah, you got your freedom. And I'm so glad I have the freedom, but I'm not experiencing it <laughs> because I don't want to. I want to stay here where I was miserable and I have a little bit of joy here and a whole lot of guilt to carry. I want to carry that. As we know, anybody who's experienced the joy of forgiveness and the joy that we can have in forsaking that sin and being freed from it, oh, so much better than the, that lie that the sin presents itself. Um, verse 4, uh, well, we covered verse 4, I think, but um, let's read it anyways, So, because I don't remember if we did or not. Verse 4 says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. That sounds pretty powerful. My life turned into a desert. It just turned into, it dried right up. My life turned into a drought, and everything that I had within me dried up. That's a uh, that, that's, uh, that statement in and of itself is very powerful. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Things change with confession. You know, when he was carrying his own sin, uh, his his bones were growing old. His vitality came to um, just um, a drought and uh, the drought of summer, it says. And then verse 5, it changes. Uh, things change with the confession and the forsaking of sin. So the, the first thing, I acknowledge my sin, and he confesses it uh, and, and um, to the Lord and, and forsaking it. And uh, God forgives. Uh, I, I think everybody in here is very familiar with First John one five, one one five, First John one nine, um, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're forgiven of it and cleansed of it. It's gone. You know, we don't have to bear the weight anymore. And that is that type of forgiveness that David is writing about here. I confessed it, and the Lord forgave me. That drought, the growing old of my bones, the 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 uh, the fact that it was crushing me on the inside is gone, and I can be forgiven. Verse six says, "For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near you. Uh, sorry, they shall not come near him. Uh, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble." You have surrounded me with songs of deliverance. So here's the, uh, this is a great thing. So as I was reading this, and the reason we're, we're studying this, is I underlined the word deliverance. So there's the confession and the forsaking. And God forgives us, and he delivers us from that. He we're no longer under the power of that. We don't, we don't have to be under that power anymore, that deliverance. So as I was reading this, and, and it was, I don't know, a month and a half ago, two months ago, when, when I got the call from Will, and I'm like, you know, um, I'm not, I haven't been led to a, a specific book to teach for filling in whenever, and uh, 
I just said, you know what? I remember that one day. The Lord really blessed me. And uh, because I was reading this, it's the joy of forgiveness. And I, I it's just in my mind, it's a little more than that. Um, the joy of forgiveness and deliverance. The forgiveness and deliverance that we have been delivered. That power that, that has ensnared us in our lives, uh, we're we can be delivered from that. And uh, so I, and it makes me think of um, alcoholism, and it makes me think of I think of drugs, and and uh, I know many people. I love I, I love these people, and they're very very close to me in my life that I have known that have been on death's door because of their drug addictions, and uh, those drug addictions were their choice, and um, they made that choice, and uh, at the point at some point had to make a choice whether they're going to continue that with that or not. Thankfully, I, I I know plenty of them that have been delivered from that, and and they've they've walked away from that. But we all know that uh, sometimes people don't win that battle. But that's something um, that people can be delivered from. They no longer have to identify themselves as yes, I am still an alcoholic in my life. I'm still a drug addict in my life. I love that the Lord offers us a clean slate. That everything's gone. That old, it's a, the Bible says that we're, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Old things have passed, behold, all things are new. Somebody who is now walking in Christ is no longer what you were before. We are now a child of God. That message that we can carry to somebody of, hey, you know what? I, I know you were that. Our, our own pastor has confessed, you know, his, his uh, drug addiction and alcoholism and, and those things. Oh, and he's no longer that man. He doesn't say, hi, I'm Will. I'm an alcoholic. He doesn't do that anymore. I'm Will. I'm a, I'm a child of God. You, you know, when, when we can experience that, and now he's, 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 our, our, uh, he's our pastor here. He doesn't, he's not saying, I'm still stuck there. You know, I'm here preaching, but I'm still stuck back here because that, that's really who I am. No, it's not. A new creation in Christ. I love that the Lord gives us uh, a totally clean slate. Looking at verses 6 and 7, it says, uh, it's, it's speaking of God's deliverance. And, and it says, in a time that you may be found, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Someone is hearing the gospel. We, you know, it's our prayer. I know as we're sharing that they will accept it right then. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. We don't know, but we can encourage them with that. Like, what are you doing? You, you know this isn't what you need or whatever. But the flood of great waters, God uses difficult circumstances to bring us back to him. We don't have to fear those circumstances like they're going to overtake us if we're walking with him. If we have him on our side and, and we're walking with him as our strength. Uh, verse, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must uh, be harnessed uh, with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. I love this. is God's instruction, is in, uh, instruction and teaching to guide us. Uh, we have the word to guide us. We don't have to wonder how we can you know, walk with him in our lives. We, we have this beautiful work here that we can learn of redemption and strength and, and hope and peace in our lives. We've got it right here. The Lord's provided it. 
and uh, back in Exodus, we can we can watch a physical the, that physical thing that you could see of the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. You know that that uh, to lead them and to cover them, and uh, that we have that in in the Word. We still have the Lord leading and guiding us, just like they could see it and follow during the day and um, uh, and and at night. They uh, they experience the presence of the Lord, and we can also. You know, we, when we read back uh, and we're, we're reading through that, we can experience that same the Lord's presence with us, just like uh, they were physically seeing this awesome thing, this awesome pillar of fire and smoke. God tells us to be obedient and not be hard-hearted, uh, having to be forced to correction. I don't know about you guys, but I know that I can be stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And just, no, I'm not letting this go. And God is saying, don't be like that. I love that. It just just comes right out. Don't be like the horse or mule. I've got to, I've got to correct them. Uh, they don't have understanding. They need to be harnessed with the bit and bridle. And uh, and uh, it's not for our lives. We, you know, as as believers, we just, uh, we're called to uh, yield to his spirit and yield to what his word says. And, um as we're sharing this message with uh, lost around us, we can let them know, hey, the fight's over. You know, just just be obedient. Just continue to stay in the continue to stay in the word. You know, when the Lord was uh, was explaining the par- parable of the sower, and uh, he's going on and talking about the seeds and where they land, and you know, lands on the rocks, and um, uh, you know, this didn't this didn't end up working out in the good seed, and. What he's explaining there is that um, you know there's there are things that spring up and then they're choked by the by the uh, by the thorns and they die. Um, that type of thing is uh, is there's the there's the excitement of being told that we're being forgiven that we've been forgiven and uh, and we get excited about that. But then we realize, okay, so now I have this road that I need to walk where I need to die to myself. Because myself is what got me in that place where I needed to be delivered from. And now I need to let that person completely die, just like I showed I did when I was baptized and I came back up. And and, and, and sin is hard. Sin is hard and, and uh, to, to, to push away from. But we have the victory in the Lord. We have the deliverance in the Lord. It's just whether we want to keep returning to those things or walk in that victory, walk in that deliverance that he's given us. And it only takes a little bit for us not to. Just the Lord, you know, tells us to be uh, in His in His Word um, continuously. This is this is where we're supposed to be, uh, you know. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine and Word and prayer uh, in um, in prayer and fellowship. Uh, it, when when we read those uh, in in Acts, that list of things, it, it's so important for us to have all those things in our lives to help us in our walk. So uh, an encouragement, I, I, know we, I know in my life I've, I've always been encouraged to see somebody pray a prayer of salvation. And it's so important that if the Lord does bless us. Oh, and you, I, I don't, I, I'm sure that some of us in here have been able to, um, been blessed enough to lead somebody uh, and just say, hey, you want to accept the Lord? Yeah, and you'd be able to put your arm on their shoulder and, and just let them pray and just watch them experience and just pour their heart out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and to be filled with it, filled with his spirit and to walk with him. And, and as the older brother or sister, are, we should also be telling them after that, hey, you've started a whole new life, a whole new walk, and, and you need to learn to walk 
and you need to learn to stand and you need to remain strong. The only way you're going to do that is to continue steadfastly in the word, in prayer, in fellowship, those types of things and, and encourage them because saying the prayer is important and, and, and it may be looked at as, hey, I did this, I'm good to go, I'm ready to, ready to rock on and I can just continue with my life. No, you just started a whole new life. Everything's gone. You're born again. You're not like born again and died and then the old guy comes back and you're dragging him around. And No, 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 no. There's the new birth. There's the new life. There's You've been delivered from that and you can walk on from that. Such a blessing. Verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So there's the contrast between wickedness and trusting and, and walking with the Lord. It, it spells it out right here. Many sorrows shall be with the wicked. I don't want many sorrows. I know nobody in here does. <laughs> we don't want sorrows. Sorrows are the bad things. Glad. Uh, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, uh, you righteous. You know, the Lord pleads with us to walk with him. In Deuteronomy, you're probably familiar. I'm just going to turn over there so I can read it to you uh, real fast. But Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it's going to be a, a familiar couple verses. Uh, verses 19 and 20 says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey his voice, you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. You know, that, that's the Lord's pleading with us. He'd rather us experience his joy and his peace and uh, uh, be glad and, and rejoice in righteousness and mercy um, than to be the ones that are uh, suffering many sorrows. You know, I, I had a conversation with somebody close to me last night and um, going through a tough time. And uh, just being able to share that, um, you know, in their, in discussing their tough time and just being able to share that, you know, we, we have um, somebody close to us that's, uh, that's uh, terminally ill and, um, and I was just saying, I, I know that that person is deathly, deathly afraid of dying, is petrified of dying, petrified of it. And I was just explaining, I'm like, I don't want them to have that fear of dying. I want them to know what First John, John chapter 5 tells us, that we can know we have salvation. That we can know we have salvation. That salvation of our soul means that we have no death to fear. We have nothing there. I don't want those sorrows. I want the joy. I want the gladness that it says in here, the gladness and, and the rejoicing and the uprightness that so far outweighs um, the result of our sin, the things that tricked us, that deceived us and led us into the things that are going to destroy our lives. And, and we've covered it before, but in, in James where it's talking about, uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, where it's talking about sin just being enticing to us, and then we start walking down that road of sin, and then that sin, as we start following it, you know, uh, you know we're, uh, sorry, the desire. The desire leads us uh, down that road, and then it becomes sin, and then sin becomes death. That's, that's every single time that's what sin wants to do. 
I don't want that in my life. I want what's, what's said here in verse 11, the gladness, the rejoicing, the uprightness, the joy of forgiveness and deliverance from sin. When we can read this and go, we can have joy and forgiveness and deliverance of sin. Deliverance being delivered from those things. Again, uh, Proverbs 28, 13, I know we read it. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find uh, will have mercy. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. I know I've said these things, but I, I have them here. I, I believe the Lord put them for a reason as a reminder as we're wrapping up. John 8.36 says, If the Son makes you free, you should be free indeed. And uh, just the last thing we're going to talk about here is David went from silence in verse 3 to singing. He went from silence and that personal anguish where he's like, Oh, my bones are growing old and I, I'm just dry inside. It's like a drought inside of me. He went from all that anguish and pain. And verse 7 says, um, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from uh, from trouble. You shall, uh, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. David's talking about songs of deliverance. That is awesome. To be taken from that personal pain and anguish and to be delivered. So the joy of forgiveness and deliverance. So that, that word being underlined in here, um, the Lord just spoke to me through it of the deliverance that we have experienced and we can share. And uh, I, uh, it is a blessing to me, and I pray that the Lord keeps this, this um, specific psalm in my heart um, in explaining so that, you know, as I uh, walk through my life, that I'll have the opportunity to share not only the, the, the confession and the forsaking uh, of the sin that can happen, but then with that comes forgiveness and deliverance. It's not like the Lord says, I forgive you, but I don't really deliver you from it. Can you imagine? Yeah, I forgive you, but I'm going to let you wallow in it for a little bit. You're forgiven, and I'm going to deliver you from it. So that's an amazing, uh, amazing uh, truth that we have to be able to meditate on and be able to share with those uh, that the Lord puts in our paths. So uh, I pray that the Lord will keep it fresh in your minds uh, and that we will be able to share this uh, as he opens doors uh, for us too and be able to share, yes, uh, share the, the message of, of forgiveness and salvation, but also that message of deliverance. Once you've been freed by the Lord, you're not that person anymore. That person's gone and dead. You have been delivered from that old life and brought new. And what an awesome message to be able to share with a lost and broken world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed to read and uh, to experience your grace and mercy and your deliverance. We pray, Father, that you would keep this fresh in our heart. And Lord, that we would be able to share this with so many people throughout our lives. And Lord, that you'd prepare their hearts to accept you and to walk with you, Lord. We know that you may use us uh, as one to, to cast a seed and another one to uh, to water it. Uh, but, Lord, you cause the growth. That's what your scripture says. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that we would be ready and willing uh, servants, to please, uh, looking to please you, looking to point people to toward you in their lives so that they can experience the grace and mercy that we have. We thank you for this time, Lord. Again, we pray that you keep Carrie safe. And you bless her in her travels and bless her in her studies. 
and her fellowship there, get her back home safely to us in your timing. And we pray that you would heal our pastor and uh, get him back to us uh, when he's ready to be here. So we thank you for this time and your word, and uh, we pray you bless us as we all go home now and get us home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.